0: This is Jacobin Radio. I'm Susie Wiseman. The first ever simultaneous strike at the big three automakers, General Motors or GM, Ford and Stellantis, started September 14th with 13,000 workers walking out of three assembly plants in Michigan, Ohio and Missouri, involving about 10 percent of UAW or United Auto Workers members at the big three. Instead of striking all plants at once, select workers stand up and walk out on strike. Sean Fain, the new militant leader of the UAW, says this tactic keeps companies guessing which other locals will be next. Nelson Lichtenstein, research professor at UCSB and expert on labor, the automotive industry and Walmart, joins us to discuss this strike and how it fits into the recent hot period of strikes overwhelming public support for unions and strikes, the role of the UAW in leading this newly energized working class and more. We'll get his view on the nature of this militancy after a lengthy period of labor quiescence and ask if he sees these strikes as igniting a newly revitalized labor movement. All this when our program returns in just a moment. This is Jacobin Radio. I'm Susie Wiseman. This week, the United Auto Workers, or UAW, launched a historic strike against the big three U.S. automakers. That's Ford, General Motors, and Stellantis. You may not have heard of it, but it's the parent company of Chrysler. And this strike is launched against all three all at once. UAW President Sean Fain announced the strike at midnight on September 14th against three selected plants. That's GM in Wentzville, Missouri, a Stellantis complex in Toledo, Ohio, and a Ford Assembly plant in Wayne, Michigan. The strike comes at the end of a hot, a hot summer of strikes. And this strike is against the very profitable big three auto companies who've made a combined billion in profits in the first six months of the year. Sean Fain, the new militant leader of the UAW, says it's time to fight back after concessionary contracts, declining real wages, fewer benefits, and a two-tier wage system. The strike adopts a novel tactic. It's already being used by Unite here in L.A.'s hotel strike. It's called the stand-up strike, targeting just three plants and involving approximately 10 percent of the UAW workforce. That means instead of striking all plants at once or a company wide strike, select local stand up and walk out on strike. There's broad support for the striking workers, including, importantly, from President Biden and auto workers are joining striking writers, actors, hotel workers and many others in this hot strike season. Auto workers have social weight, a great deal of it, in fact. And as our guest Nelson Lichtenstein has said, the UAW strike is offering leadership to the newly energized and determined working class. We're going to get his perspective on the auto strike generally, the hot summer, and ask whether he thinks this is the opening of a new period of rebellion, a revitalization of the labor movement. In another time, I guess this question would have been, what period are we in? Nelson Lixensen is a research professor at the University of California, Santa Barbara, where he directed the Center for the Study of Work, Labor, and Democracy. He's also written about 20th century American political economy, including the automotive industry and Walmart. Among his many books is The Most Dangerous Man in Detroit, Walter Ruther and the Fate of American Labor, and his most recent book, which we're going to talk about one of these days soon is A Fabulous Failure, The Clinton Presidency and the Transformation of American Capitalism, forthcoming in 2023. So, Nelson, welcome back to the show.
1: Thank you very much. No, the book is out. It's out. It's been out for two days. So Okay. There.
0: All right. Forthcoming is it's now out. Okay. Uh, yeah. So let me just start right away. Uh, we have a lot of time, but I want to ask you this. So the last time you and I spoke on the air, we were talking about the uh, UC strike, which was historic and gigantic, 46,000 people on strike. And they were organized for the most part by UAW. And at the time, you made the point that the UAW was no longer just an auto workers union. So now I guess with this new militant leadership and this and auto workers on strike, you could say auto is back in the UAW. So as an expert on the UAW and its former leader, Walter Ruther, the most dangerous man in Detroit. I wonder if you could use all of that to sort of assess this historic strike, taking on the big three simultaneously and sort of by way of introduction, give us a huge overview.
1: Yes what is it is i think r- remarkable what what's what is happening and and the graduate students are in motion and and, and are there's a great union impulse there and uh, the, clearly the the auto workers has been a reanimation of the um, auto worker militancy and commitment and I, i've gotten reports from the picket line make that Pretty clear. So you know we are at a moment, uh, and then I, th- I think the, the, no reason to doubt the statistics that you know seventy percent of Americans are in favor of unions, maybe more, and seventy five percent are in favor of this auto strike. So we're in that moment. That's a that's good. That's terrific. Uh, way, way to go! And I think that the striking the, the all three now they've begun just uh, the uh, one plan in each of the. Of the so called old big three, I think the theory is that, as the negotiations go on and if they do stall or you know then they'll okay, we're gonna strike another three plants and then keep the the ones that are on strike continuing to be on strike and and sort of the thing will build over the next well weeks maybe maybe even months. I don't know that's I think part of the idea, but the striking the the big the three is the first time i mean in the entire history of the auto industry that that has happened. So why is that? And how does that link up with other uh, uh well in the in the more salad days of the uaw back in the post-war period up through really the 70s when the union was quite large and strong and and basically the auto industry was was in fact the big three only uh how does this compare i think the decision to strike all three comes out of a both a both weakness and strength mm. the weakness is that pattern bargaining which used to be the the way they did it meant that the UAW would choose one company as its as a the target they would strike often ford ford seemed to have both money on the one side and kind of you know was a little bit more innovative uh, Than others. Uh, anyway, they'd strike one of the of the companies, and then uh, reach a settlement, you know, or maybe a long strike, reach a settlement, and then that pattern would be adopted by the others, and that, and that worked when the the entire auto industry was unionized, basically, and and when the companies uh, were had really a, an oligopoly. Well, today that's not the case uh, there are many uh, auto plants obviously the transplants uh, not to mention tesla uh yeah. are non-union uh and so i think there's a there was a fear correct fear that a pattern pattern bargaining wouldn't work uh, either either the 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 talantis uh, in particular would balk uh at it either gets lost, most of its revenue from europe anyway uh general motors gets most a lot of revenue from china they produce more cars in china than in the us so there was sort of a fear that the uh, pattern bargaining wouldn't work and so we have to do it uh strike the entire strike you know strike all of the the companies and then of course the the the, the idea is that the, the companies won't know which of their plants are going down. They will sort of compete with each other to offer, you know, more concessions, and that's that's the that's the hope of the union. Now that's the weak weak side of it, and the, and I can go back and I think the weakness is important to know about. Especially, yeah,
0: let's go back to that one in a second because I want to ask about that. But just yeah, go ahead. Oh, yeah,
1: this, I mean, they mentioned this mention what the, I think the strength of it is. Yeah, the strength is of striking all three is there is in the past we just struck one those workers who were who are not on strike uh, they said, well, what about us? You know, what do we just sit here passively? No, the the, the auto workforce and working class, they want to be engaged. They want to fight. And I think that this is a way of saying, yes, you're all going to be ready. And those of you who are on the strike now, be ready. You'll, you'll be ready. You will be will be called upon. So there is that. I think that's the strength of it. And secondly, and I'll talk, we'll talk more about this. This politicizes the strike in particular. This makes it a the strike as much a political strike as an economic strike. And it has to do with the policies of the of the biden administration and really the the larger political economy of the industry itself and we'll get to that but so i think the striking all three it's 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 saying this is a new day and again fane and uh uh, sean fane and others have said you know, we're having air. It's a stand-up strike. You know, in, you know, yeah. we had sit-down strikes 80 years ago, and that was important. Now it's we're asking auto workers to stand up, and I think that's clever and intelligent, and uh, and I think it reflects the mood of the of the working force, working class. Now, go ahead.
0: Well, no, that's great. I was going to ask you more about what you thought of the tactic, but I think before we go there. You know, you just talked about how important and historic it is that they hit all three all at once, and that is historic. But there's something else that's going on now, too, and that you had this entire period of rising momentum in the labor movement, including you know that other huge sector, the UPS Teamsters, that would have represented 340,000 workers who's practiced pickets and were ready to go on strike, and then won a historic contract. Some people would say they should have gone on strike. You know, we can talk about that in a minute. I kind of want to get your reflection of why now, why it's a good moment for UAW to do this. And that also entails, you know, we always used to say you should strike and occupy profitable factories, not unprofitable ones going under. So, could you talk just a little bit about that? And that would be the issues as well behind the strike. What it is that the workers are, you know, striking for?
1: I, I do think there's a there's a thirst out there for demonstrations of labor power, which is why some people, myself included, we're looking we're looking forward to a to a short Teamster strike. I mean, I think they they won a lot; it's a good contract, but it's yeah. sort of a demonstration of labor power actually the ups demonstration would have been quite good because everyone has you know, knows a UPS uh, driver, a uh, deliverer. Uh, auto is more. You know, they're they're in factories, so you don't encounter them every day. But uh, but clearly, the, the the companies have been making money. There is uh, low unemployment. They're working long, long shifts. You know, and that's one of the complaints: is all the overtime we have, mandatory overtime. You know, we, we don't have a life, and and yet you know you hire more people. What about you know? Don't uh, turn the uh, the temporary workers into full time workers? That's that's part of their their argument. So though it's a it's a moment that is uh, you know, as the as everyone from the labor conservative labor economists on one side to the to the most militant worker on the other would agree. This is a moment of 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 labor empowerment. There's no doubt about it. I will just we can talk about this a little bit more. One of the I think uh, issues moments, despite this period of favorable uh, conditions for labor. Companies are remaining intransigent when it comes to union recognition. Uh and, and that's obviously clear with you know Starbucks and whatnot and, and Amazon. But it's also the big
0: studios too.
1: Right. The studios, yes, the studios too. It's also the 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 automakers are there, you know, Ford and, and GM are, are are unionized, but when it comes to the Battery plants, which are very important, they said, oh no, they're joint ventures. We can't speak, you know, they're not, we can't agree to a kind of automatic unionization there. And if we do, we want lower wages and and et cetera. So uh, the, the, the capital is remaining. Uh, intransigent, despite this moment of working class empowerment. Now, in, in previous moments, going back to the 1880s you, and, and around 1900, and and the First World War, and then 30s, and then the 60s, when you when you had moments of working class insurgency, union membership and and rec- you know ballooned in size. That's not happening yet today, and I think that says something about what's going on in the in the corridors of power. And uh, there, you know, th- 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 these companies know there's. Uh, Uh, what's going on out there. Uh, And I think they're part of their strategy is let's wait for the next recession, you know, let's, you know, Uh, anyway, but, um, but I think, the go ahead. I could just interject one
0: thing, you know, because I really want to agree with you on the intransigence of, let's say the owners of the companies, the CEO's, In a different period, they had all the support and unions were demonized and they're holding out. And I guess quite willing to be looked at as fat cat intransigent, you know, capitalists, because and and you should talk about this, that I like that Sean Fain said, Mm -hmm. you know, that the CEOs of of the big three have had a 40 percent increase in their pay. So the workers are going to ask for the same thing. And in other words, they're going to claw back. After all those years of concessionary contracts, and I also really, I was surprised, I just hadn't paid attention, I guess, that in this two-tier system, the new workers uh, had no pension, no benefits.
1: Yeah. I mean, Sean Fain's been giving uh, an excellent speeches and they've got they've gotten better. And, you know, he basically is is channeling Walter Ruther on the one hand and, and Bernie Sanders on the other. And I think that's partly a, 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 I mean, let I me mean, say one of the most remarkable things that's happened inside the UAW is that he has uh, uh, appointed and recruited to his staff. People who are once oppositionists—that uh, is, people around Labor Notes—and so uh, people like Chris Brooks, uh, who was a writer for Labor Notes, and, and, and Jason Furman, a, a radical labor writer—they are now on his staff. I mean, and, and so you know, this for Phil for forty years th- there has been this uh, ginger group outside the UAW, you know, saying let's put some movement back in the labor movement. And they've been, you know, the fighting by <laughs> fighting the you know uh, the Labor Notes group, which I identify with, and uh, now. Now you know. Okay, there's a kind of a popular front. You know, you know and that's and that's really good. I'm, I'm in favor of this kind of popular front. And so um, uh, you know, I mean, that, that's not going to solve the problem, but I, it, it does mean that that I think fane is becoming a very is a very skillful leader and it, and 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 raise the profile. And the, by the way, the idea of this strike, you, we're going to strike three factories now, then next week another three, and you know, et cetera, et cetera, is a way of keeping this thing in the news. And I think that's important important keeping it in the political news because in previous years you you know the first day of the strike oh big headlines a strike and then everyone forgets about it you know and then especially when the when the when the union and the management in secret are having these negotiations well Fain wants to you know advertise exactly what's been offered and, and he's doing that so i think that's uh, very important and i and i think they're doing it skillfully and uh, i i well, would, So, yes
0: go ahead no i'm just really curious because i was going to ask what you thought of the of this stand-up strike tactic, and it sounds like, you know, in the beginning you were talking about the strength and the weakness, but my first reaction was, well, wait a second, that means all these other factories are still working, so yeah. how's it going to hurt? No. Well, the but big three, I, they, so I'd like to hear your sort of yeah, generalized
1: yeah. Right, view
0: of it. <laughs> right,
1: right. A union's leverage is greatest on the eve of the strike, when the management doesn't know whether it'll happen or not. That's why so many deals are cut at, at 2 a.m. in the morning but the F- the fain's idea here is that as negotiations proceed and as if the companies remain tough, then Fane will just get out, go out there with a podium and say, okay, I am now asking the workers that Ford uh, the Rouge, you know, uh, Local 600, to stand yeah. up UAW, and then that next week they will go out and then he will go, you know, he will he will keep this in the news and say, the reason we're asking is that because because Ford has refused to do X or Y, you know, and we, we, we're we demanding that. And so, uh, and then, of course, they're behind the, this helps preserve the strike fund, but I think it also helps keep it in the News. And I think the auto workers are, are sort of eagerly waiting for, you know, are we going to be called on next? And I think they, that, that helps them kind of kind of I mean, kind of mobilize themselves, uh, you know, in, in, for this. So I think it, I think it's a good tactic. We'll see. How, well, I mean, they could have some.
0: yeah It's amazing it they can keep it. it a secret in this era of total surveillance and everything else. Can they really I mean because the idea was not only yeah. will it keep it in the news, but it'll yeah. sort of keep the companies off balance because they don't, don't know what, where it's gonna I, strike.
1: Perfect secrecy. See, so what? So so Ford knows that the next plan to go out will be the, the Rouge. Okay. So yeah. they know, I mean, you know, it doesn't have to be a perfect secret, but um, that's not the point. But I think I think it's you know, it, it keep it'll keep it in the news and and, and it'll keep the pressure on. I, I do want to say something about politics here and about the Biden yeah. administration. Mm. Here's my analogy, historical, my big historical analogy. In 1946, when the UAW went on strike in the famous great post-war strike against General Motors, the issue for the country at that time was, were working class living standards going to remain as high as they'd been during World War II? And were they going to continue at that level and get or are we, are we, were we going to have a risk depression, you know, and, and and a return to what had happened after World War One and et cetera. And the UAW's demand at that time was, you know, purchasing power for prosperity. That was the phrase wage increases without price increases, which meant we want the office of price administration which was a very popular agency to continue to maintain the uh, a price ceiling on things like steel and cars while real wage while wages go up and you'd have a you know you'd have a real wage increase and this was part of the the national uh, political sort of, not consensus exactly, but it, has been, it was what the New Deal wanted, what the wartime New Deal wanted, what even the Truman administration, you know, wanted. And so the union strike was in, not just for auto workers, and of course, Ruther was very good at making that clear, but was in the interest of the entire working class. I mean, they didn't quite. They didn't win what they wanted, but they won. They did, in fact, set the stage for the doubling of working class living standards over the next thirty-three decades, which you know, like, was pretty important. Like the only time it's happened in the last 175 years of American capitalism. Okay, where the real working, you know, uh, incomes went up, doubled. Real incomes now. Fain today, and the UAW is saying, okay. and this is what is the what is the governmental policy? The you know it is to have a transition to a green economy in the process reindustrialize the Midwest with jobs that will be. Uh, good jobs, and frankly, be a prophylactic against Trumpism. You know, that's what the that's Dang. what the is, is happening. And so, Fain is saying, and, and the UAW is saying, this is what we're fighting for. And it's really fighting for what the at least a, a sizable slice of the of the of the polity also wants. And by and they're forcing, you know, and encouraging Biden, you know, to in fact, you know, he did in fact say, yes, the auto, the auto workers deserve more money. Now, the problem is. You need the devil's always in the details. And the Biden administration put out all this money to help plants transition but what are the criteria exactly under which we I mean, have what kind of criteria whereby the but both uh, you know unionism will take place and high wages in these battery plants and that's where the you've got kind of to get this get the details right but nevertheless that's also part of what the UAW is doing that's part i think that's that that's the potential for saying and and Biden will be able to say can say yes. What what is what am I doing? I'm, I'm supporting the working class. Here's a concrete example, not just announcing I'm the most pro union president, you know. But just here's a concrete example. I I helped you know create you know uh, thousands of, of new better jobs. So that's at least what Fain is and Fain is doing. And of course, they haven't endorsed Biden, and that's right. they said you know you have to earn our endorsement. Well, they're they're pushing that, you know.
0: And it's really interesting that Biden came out with that speech you know saying he supported workers getting more wages because it'll maybe in his thinking as we move into an election season offset the terrible role he played with the rail strike yeah, right? which right. was you know another strike where workers have social weight <laughs> right
1: yeah. I, I i at this time and let me just make one little an yeah. analogy here and again i'm going to reference this this book i just wrote a a fabulous failure of the clinton presidency and the transformation of american Democracy. In 1998, Gene Sperling, who was head of the National Economic Council, who was uh, who had Clinton's ear and was clearly a politically important figure, is sent to China with uh, Charlene Barshevsky, who's the US trade representative, to hammer out the last details of basically the plan that would open China. To uh, enter the World Trade Organization and, and create uh, an open trading system with China, and end up, frankly, being disastrous. So that was Gene Sperling in 1998. Well, just this week, I read that Gene <laughs> Sperling <laughs> Isman sent the China; sent to Detroit <laughs> with with uh, <laughs> uh, uh, Labor Secretary Sue. What is her first name? Labor se- the Labor se- the acting Labor Secretary. Yeah. Now. Uh, i don't she, want to make a mistake he's <laughs> yeah. excellent sue yeah. is excellent but she doesn't carry the political weight of gene sperling gene sperling is like a the chinese saw him as a commissar and and he and he was and he is uh so so he's now now this just shows the the nature of how politics can change you know over the he's now presumably he's going there to uh to put pressure on the auto companies to 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 you know cut a deal with the with the, with the uaw but it but i i was struck by that historical turn of of, of, the, of the of the of the uh
0: uh, it's the- absolutely incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I want to ask a little bit later for more of your ideas about, you know, how to unionize the non-union plants. But let's go back first and continue talking a little bit about the tactic of the okay. of the yeah. stand-up strike, because so many people are are calling it, you know, the 21st century equivalent to the 1930s sit-down strike. And that refers principally to the Flint sit-down strikes, which in Europe they were called factory occupations. But here they're sit down at the job. Now we're going to stand up and go on strike. So I, you know, you really know a lot about this. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit about the historical analogy. You know, does it does it hold? And do you think that it's as effective? And I want to just preface it by saying one of the problems that I were well, one of the things that I think is is worrying is that while these individual factories, three at a time, say are on strike, what are the rest of the workers in the UAW doing? And how do you keep, you know, not only Unity but promoting this sort of broad support? Yeah. Um so go ahead. There's a lot there.
1: Well, <laughs> I mean, I think the oh social ideological perspective that that you know the uh you know we're we're having a, a, a historic strike, an important strike in 1937. You know uh we knew it and by the way in 1937 uh the sit-down strikes were a mi- a distinct minority of the workforce they <laughs> it was it was the militant minority and uh they and and most workers I mean they, they, of course history plays tricks said, oh yeah I was a big supporter or at least uh, uh those who were several few decades ago when you asked but in fact the overall majority of auto workers were continued working or or sitting on their their hands at home or or you know waiting to see what would happen and it was only after the the minority who had occupied the factories won again, with a certain amount of support from the governor and the president. I don't want to emphasize that too much, but it was. But they were at least uh, neutral on some of these questions. Then the 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 union uh, people poured into the union. All those who've been, been sitting on their hands are just continuing to work. Now the There is a tactical difference. In 1937, the UAW wanted to strike crucial plants that would then shut down other plants, okay? They wanted to do that, and they did. That was the famous uh, occupying Chevy number four, which, you know, during yeah. a few weeks on, it was kind of a battle, and they did that. Okay, this time, the the UAW does not want to shut down the entire Company by by striking crucial plants to, to begin with at least they want to increase the pressure you know like the frog in the in the in the pot they, they, they are not choosing crucial plants they are choosing profitable assembly plants that you know we make money they're making money and you know and selling uh, cars that sell or, or vans or whatever they are that sell but they aren't doing that the ideological and 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 social spirit is the same but the actual tactic is is to increase the pressure slowly they I don't want to shut down the whole now part of it is you know they saving money in the strike fund you know that's part of it okay well that that that, that is the difference right now yeah,
0: yeah unfortunately we don't know if, if there's any california plants are there any california plants no, because no, we have no, a no, new no, no, no. Well, i was just no. going to say this new bill that uh you know governor newsom willer won't sign yeah. which is to give unemployment yeah. pay to striking workers
1: yeah. No, there are no uh, auto plants in California. Uh, well, there's Tesla. We'll get to that yeah. in a uh, I Actually, yeah, I gave a talk, in fact, to Region 6 of the UAW, which is the West Coast, and gave them a whole history of the, of the aircraft and auto plants going back to the 30s. But um, what there is in California and there is around the country are parts depots. And here we could see – some nineteen thirties kind of action. When and if the UAW decides to strike these parts depots, and th- these things only have like a hundred workers or something, it's quite possible that the auto company will bring in white-collar management to try to staff them, basically. And this will create, you know, the possibility of fights and whatnot on the picket line. And the parts depots are very important because, you know, your dealers all around the country have to hack at these parts, you know, and when you get your car repaired. And so that would, that would shut that down. And that may happen. That would happen toward the end if the strike keeps building and, you know, negotiations keep going on. I think one of the last groups they would shut down would be the parts depot. And, and there we have the possibility of having, you know, people like DSA and and, and yeah. support groups saying we want you to picket the parts depot in, you know, in, in California where there aren't any you know masses of auto workers. So I think I think that's that's yet to come. We'll see what happens there, you know, kind of 1930s style, you know, action on the picket line, you know.
0: And that also opens up a very broad challenge to let's say taft hartley and and flying pickets and
1: which- well right well yeah i mean <laughs> I, I think it's clear that the biden administration is not going to invoke taft hartley on this one i mean i mean by the way i just i also some of the corporate talking points are oh this is going to hurt the economy and oh, uh, you know no oh. it's not No, auto auto here's what auto strikes first of all even when they were did shut down the whole industry you then make up the production you know after the strikes finished but here today, unfortunately, only forty percent or less of the auto industry is unionized, and and the auto industry, in terms of the the economy as a whole, is is it's still very big, but it's not quite as big as it was, you know, fifty years ago. And just
0: of- on that point, in today's yeah. New York Times, that's of Saturday when we're speaking, yeah. Yeah. in the blue, out of the blue, let's say, in this article on the strike, it says, well, it's going to ra- yeah. stoke inflation, make car prices go up. And force the Fed to maintain high interest yeah. rates, so all of a sudden workers will be. <laughs> yeah, I mean,
1: that's, the- ju- that's jumping so far ahead. That's ridiculous. I mean, anyway, that's it's that's, a
0: talking point. Yeah, you know?
1: that's a ta- it's a talking point. Yeah,
0: but I wanted to ask because you know we're talking also about why now and you know this hot summer of strikes yeah. and increase in renewed vitalism and And you just mentioned you know the role of the u a w strike for nineteen forty six but also earlier, where it ignited a, a whole period of militancy. and so and and also that they were striking for the whole labor movement, not just for auto workers. And I wonder if you see this strike in this way, is it along, let's say along with the other strikers this summer, is this igniting a new period?
1: Well, you know, whether it's a whole new period i mean i i i'm not a i can't quite you know see the crystal ball. I hope I'm hopeful of course but one thing I do know that both this is for both the teamsters and the auto workers. You get a good contract, and I think I think they are going to get higher wages. Then you take those high wages, that good contract. You go to Toyota, you go to Tesla, and you say, "Hey, you know, you should be unionized because here's what we just got." And I think, and the Teamsters will do that with Amazon. And I think that's very important because this this era of concessionary contracts and two tiers. Well, then people at Toyota or. Or other companies. They say, Why should I join you? Why should I pay dues because you know you aren't doing so well? So that's that's one thing. Let me just say something about te- Tesla here. It's a double double edged sword here. So the companies say, and in one sense they are correct in a certain sense. Look, if we have high labor costs. Then, and we have to compete with with Tesla, which already has a majority of electrical vehicles are being produced by Tesla, which is non-union and relatively low, low labor costs. Well, this is going to, they're going to, Tesla's going to eat our lunch. So UAW, you are just being short-sighted and don't understand. Okay, that's what they say. And they've said that explicitly. On the other hand, the other side of it is, uh, if the if you do give if we do win high wages <laughs> at the at the big three, then we can take that that contract to Tesla and her Tesla workers and say, hey, join us. In theory, the big three would like to have Tesla be unionized. They'd like to have Tesla have higher costs because that would be good for them. But you know, do we think the UAW can really organize Tesla? Mm, maybe not. <laughs> so so here is where the You have this eccentric billionaire who's kind of trending fascist, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, with many, many billions to spend. You have a terrible labor law, you know, which means he can he can run roughshod over his workforce, you know. At the at, at a plant that used to be a font of militancy right. in the area, I I, I was down there. I was down yeah. there more than fifty years ago when the, when when it was a GM plant, and we ter- Berkeley students went down there to to greet the workers at the at the start of the General Motors strike in nineteen seventy. That tells you how old I am. Anyway, you know, yeah, yeah. So organizing Tesla is is kind of existentially important in terms of the green transition because you know if not, then these companies are going to be. Resistant. So this is why uh, you know everything is at stake here, and and the the fate of, of labor law and and the nature of the working class in the Midwest and and the whole and and Trump's appeal. You know, it's all there.
0: No, uh, but this is really important, and it really takes us into this whole conversation about Tesla, but also Toyota and right. all the battery factories. Because what right. you said, you know, up top when I asked you to give the overview, you said something like automatic unionization if they win this strike. Something like that. And First of all, just to let the listeners know that you don't just have uh, the big three and everyone's in the UAW. Tesla is big. And as you said, not only big in terms of creating these electric cars, but also the batteries. And then you have all these various... Uh, battery hubs. Well, I think China was the global leader in, in manufacturing batteries, but now North America is fast uh, growing. Uh, becoming this battery hub so you can't have the electric car without it and now there's just been one concession on battery charging stations around the country that teslas will be the standard and they no longer can have all these crazy things where people can't drive until they can find a place Um, and as you mentioned of course uh, the um, moving to fossil free or uh, less fossil fuel so it's a big part of the democrats agenda increasingly so so let's I just wonder how you see this sort of fitting in. You've talked about it a little bit, but how do you unionize those plants in this conjuncture?
1: Well, well, I mean, if, if, the, if the government's giving out billions and billions of dollars uh, in loans and grants, you know, they they can say that okay, the criteria we want, you know, when it comes to uh NLRB elections, you know, you can't you know, use that money to hire anti union law firms, and you and we insist on and uh, any violation of, of the NLRB will, will immediately cut off your, your your billions and billions of dollars. I've often said that 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 unionism from the point of view of management, you've got to create a situation where unionism is the lesser evil. That is the greater evil would be like destruction of your business model, you know, and uh, whether it's FTC coming in or or the Biden administration saying, no, no, we're not going to give you that five billion bucks unless you agree to a, a, a genuinely neutral election and, and and reach a contract. No, you're not going to get it. And in fact, OK, if you agree to the election, we'll give you two billion. And if, if you agree to the contract, we'll give, you, we'll give you the rest. I mean, no, you can do that. Now, unfortunately. When the um, Inflation Reduction Act was first passed, basically (laughs) they cut some language out of that that would have been you know pretty good for unionism but still i think there's there's latitude for the for the biden administration to do that and yes these battery plants some are being built by toyota and some are being built by uh, by the big 3 etc cetera, etc cetera. but they but right now the, the, the wages in these battery plants are terrible um some of them are like 15 16 bucks an hour and uh, it's kind of terrible messy work of chemicals and, and just just now in california a deal was reached where fast food workers are going to get 20 bucks an hour i mean i mean, it's it's crazy to have battery plants paying less than fast food. So, uh, so there's a lot of room there for for wage increases. And 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 as the union points out, wages are are still a relatively small part of the total labor costs of production of automobiles, electric or not.
0: I guess the question is whether or not you know the momentum of this strike yeah. and the sort of broadness of this strike will and and the innovative tactics as well will sort of spur the uh, battery workers.
1: Well, yeah, I mean that's well, that's well. Of course, a lot of these battery workers haven't even been hired yet. That's that. that, This that's part of it. I mean, but you know, you can you can you can reach agreements about it's you know project labor agreements. We do that all the time with the building trades. Oh, we're going to build a you know a big uh, federal building here, and then you work out the project labor agreement between the contractor and the and the workers, and then it's a union. In fact, they they've done that on the construction of the the battery plants. They've actually worked out those deals uh, with the building. So they're, they're going to be union built. But then what about union operated? That's, you know, and there's I don't see what the distinction is. Why not have the same kind of agreements that, you know, union operated? So um, uh, there's a lot of latitude and a lot of leverage that the, that the government potentially has. And I think the UAW is, is the strike is in part saying we want you to use that, and and you know uh, not just our endorsement. It's not just a question of endorsing or not. It's a question of we have this strike. You want the strike resolved? Then then you have to get going on on on, on these some of these things that will ensure a, a higher wage, unionized uh, electric transition. And I think you know I think by I mean I hope. I don't know what's going on inside the White House, but I would think Biden would say, boy, that would be a great talking point for the election. I could say, you know, I helped the UAW win and now we're going to have high wages in the Midwest and and, and don't vote for Trump.
0: Well, that's a very good talking point. So, <laughs> so let's let's kind of transition. I mean, I think, you know, we've talked quite a bit about the tactic of the strike and yeah. the scope and the importance. And, and one of the big reasons that we have this and that we had the UPS, I want to go into that as well, is how do you see, you know, that long period of quiescence of the labor movement coming to an end? And now we have this revitalization of activism, a huge wave of activism and super, you know, amounts of support, let's say, for striking uh, workers from baristas to writers to, to actors to hotel workers and now to auto. And then, you know, you and I were just now talking about whether or not this could spread to battery workers and other forms of of low labor. And so I kind of want to get your sense of of why now and how do you see this as related to, let's say, the pandemic, but even going back to, uh, because you mentioned that, you know, Sean Fain's staff includes members of Labor Notes. And so that immediately made me think of, you know, there's been this period literally since the uh, crash and recession and then Occupy, there seems to be a line of activism, or at least a, a broad support of young people as workers. So that gives you a whole and, lot to
1: say. Yes, unquestionably, there's been a a growth of, well, uh, Occupy is one, one thing. The Seattle demonstrations were another in 1999 against uh, globalization, the WTO. Th- that's been there, uh, unquestionably. I think Bernie set off, you know, was a, a very, very um, important influence there. So that's that's all been happening. And then the pandemic, it did, I think, discredit management in a kind of fundamental way, a kind of sense of for, you know, only 6% of the – of private sector workforce is unionized. So for most people you, unions are somewhere on the moon. They're they're there. They they you know set our schedules and this but they sort of take care of things. And when the pandemic came along I think there was a sense of a a betrayal and I think that that was quite important. And the uh, legacy of that remains there and people have lots of stories about oh what was it like during the pandemic you know and for example now so people you know work remotely i mean this is this doesn't apply to auto workers but it applies to a lot of other people and well hey it's working remotely well you know what you know so there's a kind of uh uh that that was you know disruptive it was a huge thing it affected tens of millions of people things don't usually affect tens of millions of people in the workforce and, and that did so that's another thing and then we have we do have kind of the Classic low unemployment right now, which is of course also uh, useful. But I, but I do, I do think you mentioned this, this occupy, and I think the ideological cultural transformation. I think that's very important. And one thing we haven't said, and we should, we have to say this, although Trump would like us to believe the working class is a bunch of white males. The fact is that the American yeah. working class is and is really. Majority Latinos, p- people of, of African American descent, uh, you know, Asians, uh, and women. I mean, the American working class is not what it used to be, and that's important. Right. That. And you look, and I think that actually the UAW should should emphasize this more. You look at a picture of UAW people, and the, you know, they're African American women, you know, Latinos. I mean, it's it, it's it, it is America in, in a very in a very decisive way, and I think that's that. I mean, that takes a long it's taking a long time for the rest of us to under bring that into our understanding but it's but it's there and there's a good reason uh you know i think black lives matter was a movement that actually you know had millions of people and that created a kind of politicization, uh, you know, at the bottom, which, which, you know, renewed it, I mean, in a way, and I think that's important. So I think, and, you know, the the slate that Fain brought to the fore, he defeated an African American, but no one commented on that because he had two or three African American women on his slate, you know, and et cetera. So uh, the UAW does uh, exemplify interracial America in a, in a fundamental way, you know?
0: As do most of the other unions as yeah, well. If you look yes, at, absolutely. you know, the ones on strike. Well, yeah, right I mean, now. yeah, uh
1: the, the hotel workers are are 90% uh, you know Latino. Uh, 90% right? Yeah.
0: Um I guess this also touches on the on the level of active support. So it's the real question, you know, and this is a this is not really a fair question, but you know. We had during the pandemic, we had a lot of social supports for people that allowed people not only to decrease child poverty, which is now doubled, more than doubled, but then also allowed people the time at home to rethink their lives. And that was also very important, even though, you know, and so there was this thing that didn't pan out the way others thought it was in the big quit. You know, there's a a question of whether or not it really did happen to the extent that it was touted. But it is sort of part of this general sort of thing that, uh, and I'm not saying this very well, but I always thought once you get those social supports, how would you ever take them away? And we're seeing that now that child poverty has increased and now people are demanding child support. Uh, we don't know if we're going to get it. It's it, we live in a crazy country where we don't have these kinds you of know, essential supports. Uh,
1: unfortunately, yeah, unfortunately, I think that's a big negative for Biden and the, because uh, you know people, most people, like, well, you know, okay, his child supports great. But now they're being taken away? Well, hey, who's in the White House? You know, I mean, so it doesn't matter where, where the well why that was. I mean, he tried to keep make it permanent, but but you blame the guy in the White House. So I've I've had some very pessimistic thoughts about that. You know what what is it going to take to get african americans living in milwaukee to vote enthusiastically in the next election well if they if they, they just had their child supports taken away duh, i'm not sure that's you know a good thing
0: and it isn't just Biden that did that, of course. No, but, no
1: of course yeah. not. But he's being blamed for. He would be, you know, that would be, he would be, you know. he would Yeah, be yeah, blamed.
0: no, but I think this is a really important point because Biden's uh, Build Back Better, which, you know, was yeah, sabotaged yeah, yeah. by yeah, yeah. Mansion and Cinema, right. was really the beginning no, of it was, the it New Deal. It
1: was, it was, and they called it the, the COVID welfare state or the COVID New Deal almost, you know, and, and it lasted for three years. And you're right that one of the sort of laws of political science is, you know, it's very hard to take something away, but this did just fade away yeah and the same is true with with uh student loans that biden had a program for Huge. forgiveness of students and the, and the courts acts that so i mean i the, the the right wing is very clever in in trying to figure out how to demobilize you know the the, the left you know and i think they they may be well
0: i you know I, I guess the reason i want to say there's so much that's going on that has been in a reverse in a sort of way who would have ever imagined russia's war in ukraine for example or the way that it's affected right. so many people but the the labor movement has been a big the big up of this time you can always say yeah all those things are happening but look at all these strikes and look at the broad support mm-hmm. so it takes me back to just you know once again talking about how you see um, and you've been writing about it quite enthusiastically so I'm inviting you to talk about it again which is how do we see this strike and the other strikes in that context of kind of renewing a spirit for the public and a social democratization of the society.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, we, we, we may live in a social democratic moment, not a revolutionary moment, but a social democratic moment. I don't want to make
0: that. (laughs) Pretty (laughs) pretty much these days is revolutionary.
1: Right. Yeah. (laughs) And I think that, I think that they, a sense that if you, if people can win, uh winning winning is good. Winning begets more winning. And I think we're having some of that winning and that it create it creates enthusiasm. The whole Starbucks thing is, is partly well, at least they, they unionized, and then and that spread like wildfire. So I think that I think the Teamster victory it was a victory. It was a good, good contract. It could have been better, but it was a very good one. So I think that's, you know, that's the kind of message you can take to many, many other people. And, 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 you know, and, and there's a reason that you it's interesting unionization, most people don't even know what a union is, but at least they, mm-hmm. they support it. They're looking for something, you know, to oppose kind of this inequality. Let me say one more thing about inequality. I think yeah. sometimes the left makes a mistake in emphasizing, oh, so and so is, you know, uh, Mary Berry or, or some other rich person is getting, you know, all these millions of dollars, and that's 500 times more than the ordinary worker. Most ordinary workers, they never encounter a billionaire. They aren't, They they may see that as a kind of abstract thing. What they do see is, the person next to them on the on uh, working is is making you know three dollars more an hour than they are. That's what pisses people off. These sort of inequalities within the working class and the two tier thing is clearly that's obviously in auto factories, but it happens everywhere. It's all over the place uh, in you know every service sector job, uh, hospitals and whatnot. So it's those inequalities which grow during periods of labor weakness, management you know makes all these kind of their own decisions, and, and, and that's what people get pissed off about. And one of the things that the union movement did during its moment of power was to, in the period of great compression, it wasn't just that the CEOs got relatively less than workers. It was that within the working class, there was this compression. So in, in, in Michigan, in the state of Michigan in like 1955, African-American auto workers earned 95 percent of what white auto workers earned you know and uh, uh you could find that in lots of places and that and those those inequalities have grown in a period of union weakness and that's what that's what the unions are, are seeking to do we want you know we want to we want progression we want we want to know what's going on we want to you know define the the structure of, of the wages so that it's, it's less inequitable and I think that is important important and will and has will have a, has much of an impact as, you know denunciations of, of the billionaire class much as i think that's important but i think it's all you know you see you see where i'm going on that yeah
0: yeah i do and i think it's a good talking point to say well they got a 40 percent raise so should we right, right. but on the other hand you're absolutely right and if you think about all the strikes that have happened they're against the two-tier system but they people have always it's been against the two-tier system, I think, at least yes, I mean, in at the workplace. They have, yeah,
1: they've been against it, but they've somehow had to accept it. In Hollywood, the same thing is happening. In Hollywood, they kind of the, the 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 all sorts of irrational wage uh, structures, and they're and the and the they're trying to create system.
0: Yeah.
1: and trying to create a uh, sort of schedules. What what are the residuals? What are the the, the wages? You know, how many how many uh, hours and, and and sessions will you have? I mean, that that's what the, that's the, the working class wants. The working class is conservative in a very radical way that is you want <laughs> predictability well that doesn't always work if the capitalist markets they, they thrive on unpredictability <laughs> so that's you know so in that that conservatism yeah yes i want to know when my to, get, to meet my kids when they come home that's a conservative thing that's that stability that's the you know, tradition but capitalists you know Oh no! You got to work overtime because you, we just had a had a sales spurt in 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 uh, in some country. So I mean, I think that that's uh, that's something that the unions the unions do unions do that, and management hates it, frankly.
0: So this is sort of the final question that I have for you, and I think it's really you know it comes back to it. I think you uh, there's a quote I wrote down of yours, um, which I don't know where it is. Nonetheless, you said that the UAW is much diminished, but in periods of social change and turmoil, well. Organized sectors of the working class, even if they're a small minority, can be a vanguard. Millions of Americans, workers and non-workers, are thirsting for that. And I think it's possible that the UAW strike is offering that leadership. So can you just talk a teeny bit about that?
1: The working class has always... Proceeded with a vanguard, a minority has you know with 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 consciousness and power and and a sense of purpose, and that's what uh, from going back to the mid nineteenth century, uh, and uh, you know Walter Ruther famously said the UAW is the vanguard in America. He meant you know w- you know we're setting the standards for the for the future, and I think that clearly the auto. I mean, I will say this: one of the things it's important to have institutions. All of the unions we've been talking about are everywhere from eighty to one hundred. 20 years old. Now, sometimes the unions are corrupt and, and stolid and, and this and that, but sometimes they're full of new, young you know, militants. And the UAW, this institution's been around for a long time, has been diminished, but now it has a leadership and a membership, which is, you know, wants to do something. And it's quite possible people all over the country will take inspiration from that. And I'm hopeful that will happen.
0: Nelson Lichtenstein, thank you so much. I wanted to say from your mouth to people's ears you know, and feet, you know, because this is really exactly what we need in this period. Nelson's latest book, which just came out, is called A Fabulous Failure The Clinton Presidency and the Transformation of American Capitalism, just out by Princeton University Press. And we're going to talk about that at a later date. But you should also take a look at uh, Nelson's biography of Walter Ruther, The Most Dangerous Man in Detroit, uh, because it's also about the fate of American labor. And of course, I love all your other books, too, especially State of the Union and your book on Walmart. Um, But I want to thank you so much for sharing your insights today.
1: You're welcome. Thanks for having me. All right.
0: Thanks so much. And I think we're going to go out with some labor
2: songs. (laughs) All right.
1: From shore to
2: shining shore it really made me wonder the things I heard and saw. But the banks are made of marble with a guard at a door, and the vaults are stuffed with silver that the miners sweated for. I've seen my brothers working throughout this mighty land. I've prayed we'd get together and together make a stand. Then we might own those banks of marble with a guard at every door. And we would share those faults of silver that we have sweated for.
0: Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Susie Wiseman. This is Jacobin Radio. Thanks to producer and director Alan Minsky and to Jacobin Radio's Micah Utrecht. Baskar Sumkara is the founder and editor of Jacobin magazine, and special thanks to Robert Brenner, and thanks to you for listening. I'm Susie Wiseman.